friends. Welcome back to another episode of Chasing Sunday. Uh, this is a uh, podcast for and by worship leaders um, to help uh, help them get off the treadmill of just running after Sundays. Um, I'm Brian Davis. I've been a worship leader in the Denver area for a long, long time. And uh, yeah, I'm just really passionate about helping worship leaders uh I guess realize their full potential and 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 stop thinking about uh, worship as just a, a Sunday morning event, um, but as an all-encompassing way of life and helping their congregations and their churches uh, live that way as well. Um, I've got a great guest uh, for you today, um, and we'll jump into that in just a second. His name is Danny Byram, um, and the guy is just a uh, he's a, a, a a fount of knowledge, if you will, uh, and just tons of experience. Um, so yeah. Um, but first I, I do want to let you know a few things about, uh, my ministry and about, um, what, uh, what I do with, uh, the organization called Torn Curtain Arts. We're a, a nonprofit that works uh, to help strengthen the soul of Denver worship leaders. And, um, just want to let you know if you're a worship leader and you're listening to this, or if you are someone who knows a worship leader, um, who maybe on the verge of burnout or who may be feeling like they, um, they're just a little bit lost. Um, please reach out to us. You can go to torncurtainarts.org, find out a little bit more about what we do, but you can also reach out to myself or to Paul, my, uh, my partner at Torn Curtain Arts. Uh, we would love to talk with you. Um, we'd love to encourage you. Um, if you need a weekend off, we'd be happy to provide that for you as well. Uh, we come in and, uh, and give you a weekend away while we lead worship for your church. And uh, yeah, so if that's something that you need, please uh, feel free to reach out. We are here to serve you and to help you keep from uh, keep from just running yourself ragged. So, um, and we, we're going to have a whole bunch uh, of other resources that are going to be coming out um, in the next year. So, uh, so please uh, keep an eye on our website, follow us on Instagram. Uh, I think we have a Facebook page. I don't, I'm not on Facebook myself. So uh, I'm told that we have a Facebook page. So uh, yeah, check us out on, on the socials. All of it is just branded torn curtain arts. So uh, yeah, check us out. You can link to all that on our website as well. So um, there's the commercial out of the way. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk, uh, we, I'm going to talk to Danny Byram, uh, in this episode, we connected over zoom, uh, and, uh, in the midst of, of this, uh, COVID pandemic. So we, uh, we're really, really taking social distancing seriously. Um, Danny has been a worship leader for years and years and years. Um, he's worked uh, on stage leading worship. He has led bands. He has been on the production side of worship. He was very involved uh, in the Promise Keepers, um, pretty much from the very beginning, uh, planning and coordinating all of their events. And uh, he has a very, very refreshing perspective on corporate worship. Um, he wrote a book recently, uh, called wallpaper worship. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. Um, and if, if you are feeling, um, if you're a worship leader and you're feeling like there has to be something more than just singing songs on Sunday, there has to be something more than just making productions that are awesome 
for people to watch. Find yourself a copy of Wallpaper Worship and read through that. Let it convict you. Let it inspire you. Let it move you to actually start to look at ways to engage your congregation and your church and your community in new ways. Um, and uh, I, it's done that for me. Uh, as soon as I was done reading the book, I started looking at how I lead worship at my church, how I lead worship when I'm at other churches, and how I can find new ways to to get people involved in worship and not just be passive observers of what's going on. We, we're going to talk a lot about that uh, in this episode. So um, yeah, uh, also I'll, I'll link to uh, Danny Byram's stuff uh, later on in the episode and we'll have it also on all the socials. So if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you'll be able to find out all about that. But I'm going to stop talking now uh, and uh, let you hear from Danny himself. Um, yeah. So enjoy this episode of Chasing Sunday with my friend Danny Byram. Enjoy. Danny Byram, thank you so much for uh, for joining me here on the Chasing Sunday podcast. Um, you are a worship leader, an author, a speaker, a piano tuner, um, just a, a, a jack of all trades. Um, would love to hear uh, a little bit more about yourself, kind of where you've been, what's your story, uh, where you are now, and, and maybe uh, talk a little bit about what the future looks like for you, and then we'll kind of dive into to some other things here. So feel free to tell us whatever you want us to know about yourself. Well, Brian, thanks. It is really a pleasure to be with you and, uh, and your audience and your, you know, your tribe. Um, it's a good thing that you're doing and uh, I love it. Um, yeah, my story is, uh, started basically my, my story started growing up uh, as the, as the son of an air force chaplain. I was, I grew up on air force bases and I talk extensively about this in my book, which I know we'll get into later, but um, you're talking about a kid who grew up in church, so to speak. But the difference was I grew up in a lot of different kinds of churches Mm. Um, in the air force, uh, at least during that time, you know, my dad was Southern Baptist. And so, you know, those services were pretty basic, but one week he'd be on duty and the next week the Methodist chaplain would be on duty. And so the service would take on a Methodist feel right? Uh, and kind of a liturgy light like they like to do, a little more historical. The next week it would be the Presbyterian chaplain. And then the following week after that would be the Episcopalian chaplain. It would be all kind of a, a very high, you know, more of a high liturgy for us yeah. as Protestants. Um, and communion was the highlight. For my dad, the preaching was the highlight, the gospel. Dad didn't even preach in a in a uniform. He he had on a suit. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was it was a very interesting growing up within the church. But yeah. my perspective was very wide. Hmm. And every three years we would move, you know, to a different duty station and repeat the whole process. Um, you know, lived through some Catholic masses, uh, some in Latin, some in English. Yeah. And uh, so I had quite a quite a wide exposure to what the whole idea of worshiping God was about the different forms of worship, you know, sure. etc. So <clears throat> I remember we would visit our cousins who all lived in Texas or Louisiana uh, during the summer times. And, you know, they, they were 
they were all folks who grew up in one town, in one church, in that town from the time they were, you know, cradled to mm-hmm. the time they graduated from high school and went away to college. Yeah. And that was all they knew. Um, and uh, so, you know, my exposure was very broad. Mm. And, uh, and that's the way I come to worship today as I come with a really kind of a broad, broader view of why are we doing what we're doing the way we're doing it, et cetera. Right. And wow, look at all of the colors on the Protestant palette, <laughs> so to speak, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, that we could, that we could be using, but we don't. And it's like, why not? Um, so that's kind of the premise of, of my book. Basically, right. my career took off when I was 17 years old. When I graduated from high school, I just started singing in clubs, singing anywhere I could sing. I had about 300 songs in my head memorized, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a lot of the pop songs of the day that we had grown up with the people wanted to hear as they had dinner or whatever. I went away to college, became a music major, and uh, didn't want to do music ed because I knew I, I could never teach. Um yeah as great of a, a career as that is, that just was not my gift, mm-hmm. you know, in the classroom. So I, I took a church music major and got a bachelor of music degree in church music with no desire to go into church music. <laughs> <laughs> because at the time it was an organ on one side, a piano on the other and a choir in the middle. And I just was not interested. I'd yeah. grown up with that. It was great for what it was, but the church was extremely limited at that time sure. with how it expressed itself musically. Yep. Um, the music, even of Bill Gaither, if you can imagine, was really the contemporary music of that day. Right. But even then, I was like, that just sounds so Southern gospel to me. Um, whereas my, again, my musical exposure was very wide too. Classical, you know, um, pop music, country music, all of this stuff. And um, so I just wanted to go off to Nashville and, and become a writer and become a, a recording artist and, you know, just build a following and all that stuff. And I did that for a number of years until I finally just got burned out. I was I had two songs in the top Billboard 100 wow. and uh, that had charted. But I and I got to record with one of my childhood idols, the Doobie Brothers. I was actually what? in some uh, sessions with them for a couple of days and uh, in Los Angeles. They backed me up. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, three of the guys from the Doobie Brothers were there, four, four of the guys. Wow. And uh, they were the backup band in this in these sessions that I did. So, you know, I was kind of living my dream. Sure. But I just, I went through, I, I had married my, uh, you know, my college sweetheart. And then she left to go become an actress. And then it just, our marriage fell apart. It was only four years long. Mm. We didn't have any kids. We were just, we were just, our, our roads diverged. And it was a bad situation. So I was burnt out by the time I was 27, 28 years old. And that's just, you know, it was, I was just, just in clubs, you know, two, two different clubs a night, one from five to eight, the other from eight 30 to 1230. Uh, and, and just six nights a week. Right. You know? So that's a lot of music. It's a lot of different types, but what that did was that got me really diverse in music itself. Mm. You know, people are showing up going, do some jazz. I'm going, gosh, jazz. I never studied jazz. I need to learn jazz. I learned jazz. Right. Hey, do some standards. Do some Cole Porter and old old Broadway stuff from Sinatra and those guys. Wow, I didn't really grow up hearing that stuff and listening to that stuff. So I need to learn that stuff. So I learned that stuff. Hey, do some country stuff. Oh, I hate country music. Okay, I got to learn it, though, because people want to hear it. So I learned all the new country music that was out during the day. I mean, it was kind of my graduate school of music. Sure. So I got burned out about 27, 28 years old doing that mm-hmm. and wound up at a conference center here in Colorado um, called Spring Canyon. Okay. And it's owned and operated by a ministry called Officers Christian Fellowship that basically had my, my dad used to speak 
every now and then at that conference center okay. as, a, as an Air Force chaplain. I was going to stay there six months. I wound up staying there for two and a half years. Hmm. And that was that was the major life gate for me, Brian. I walked through a gate and it closed behind me and nothing was the same from that point on. I knew the Lord. I had gone to Oral Roberts University. I, I you know, I, I had grown up in the church, but that was a real life gate for me. And um, from there, I started to write songs out of my quiet times, hmm. out of my Bible reading time. Um, I you know, went back to uh, Dallas, Texas, where I had been living prior and recorded an album. Um, and we, <laughs> I owed the IRS some money. We thought, okay, let's make an album, a cassette, and let's sell it in the bookstore this summer to all the guests, you know, and then I could take the money and pay it to the IRS. What the Lord did with that was these were military uh, officers and commanders and chaplains that were coming through that uh, conference center. They would buy the tape. They would take it to their installation, give it to their chaplain and say, Call this conference center and book this guy. He needs to come in and sing for our soldiers and families. Wow. So Yeah. So within a year, I start getting all these invitations all over the nation, literally overseas. And I'm just traveling out of there. Um, you know, when I'm there, I'm washing dishes and changing bed sheets and cleaning up bear poop, you know, <laughs> uh, in the fall, you know, <laughs> from the trash bins, you know. Yeah. But I'm going out and I'm doing all my songs. And they're my songs. They're the songs of my experience. Yeah. Uh, not doing everybody else's songs, doing mine. And it was just such a thrill for me. Um, and it never stopped. That went on for 30, 30 plus years yeah. of traveling all over the world, working with our military chaplains and commanders on ships at sea. You know, I went to Iraq and went to uh Wow. Somalia, you know, went to North, went to not North Korea, but South Korea, went to the DMZ nine times singing to our guys right there on the border of wow. North and South Korea and basically just doing music evangelism with my music. Sure. You know, and then of course leading, you know, they say, well, did you lead worship? Well, yeah. Yeah, sure. We did songs. Everybody could sing. Yeah. That was, you know, did I do worship? Yeah, I did, I did a bunch of worship services, but I also did a bunch of concerts too mm -hmm. uh, of just my music. And it was, you know, just did conferences from there. It just kind of went on. So 30, yeah. 30 some odd years of that. Wow. Wow. What a story, man. Yeah. Yeah. I could, we could talk for an hour just about my story, but I know right? we have a lot more to talk about. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll do that someday for sure. I don't want this to be the, uh, I don't want this to be the last conversation. Um, well, that sounded bleak. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't want this to be the last podcast that we record together. Let's, let's say go. that. Let's say that. So, Hey, so I well, do want thanks. to talk about your, your book, wallpaper worship. Um, I have read it. Um, and, uh, man, it was I, from word one, it was very convicting. Um, and, uh, also very enlightening, also very confirming, uh, a lot of things that, that I've been thinking about in, in music and in worship ministry and in the church. Um, there's, there's a lot, and I don't, I don't want to go just straight negative, but there's a, there's a lot wrong. Like there's a, there seems to be a problem. Um, and in, in church music and in, in worship. And I feel like you do a really great job of addressing a lot of that, uh, in your book. And, um, you get really straight to the point in the preface, um, pointing out that the church leadership, uh, the people that are usually over the worship leaders, um, seem to have this belief that the current culture, uh, demands, a more kind of non-participatory passive experience. Um, 
What do you believe that's rooted in? Do you feel that that's an accurate assessment uh, in this day and age? And obviously with COVID aside, like that has obviously changed a lot of things, the ways that churches are doing worship right now. Um, Mm. So let's set that aside for a moment. Let's go back pre-COVID. Do you feel like that's an accurate assessment? And what what do you think that assessment is rooted in, that people are actually looking for a more passive experience? Um. I believe that uh, we have seen over the last, oh gosh, 15, 20 years, uh, a move in all of our lives towards a passive observatory experience in just about everything. Yeah. Um, Not just the church experience, but everything. Um, You know, reality shows came came into being, what, 20 years ago. And, you know, that's the basis of a reality show. You watch on that show i'm not saying they're bad i'm just saying it's just what it is but you watch a reality show for the purpose of seeing people do what you know you'll either never do or that you don't have the ability to do for yourself right and um you know everything from survivor which was kind of the first big one which is still out there everything from survivor watching people survive and find food and you know do all the things that they do on that on that show Mm week after week after week, you know, coming back to it and just passively watching others do stuff that you know you'll never do. Right. Or that you can't do. And um, that kind of vicarious experience, you know, now we've got virtual reality, right? Right. You know, I remember when I was in college, we were hearing about, I mean, it was a long time ago, (laughs) you know, in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, we were hearing about virtual reality is coming. You know, well, it's taken a long time for that to come, but now you can just, you can buy it. It's there. It's, you know, all of this has progressed through the, through the decades of my life Mm -hmm. to now dump us out in a, in a, in an era where even in church, you go to, I, you know, and this is what really inspired the book was just going, man, I am so tired of going to church and just watching musicians on the stage. They sound incredible. Yep. They look incredible. But as I'm looking around the uh, congregation, it's no longer a congregation. It's not a congregation. Mm. It's, it's, a gr- it's a group of people that create an audience for a lot of per- per- for some performers on stage. Right. And that's what they are. We have become an audience that listens and looks at a presentation weekly. And that's what really inspired my book. I was like, this is this is like wallpaper music in Vegas. Mm. You know, you go to Vegas and you hear all these incredible bands and they're, you know, they're on top of the bar, <laughs> you know, performing for everybody in the <laughs> casinos, you know, doing all these shows and people are talking, they're coming, they're going, they're counting their gambling chips. You right. know, they're just doing stuff. But nobody's really listening to them or really engaged with them. A lot of people don't even clap for them. They're just going from one song to the next. Right. And I thought, well, that that kind of music is called wallpaper music. Hmm. That's the music that we hear in, in grocery stores right. or in department stores. It's great music, mm-hmm. but it's not designed to engage those who are listening to it. Right. It's designed to perform for them, to say something to them, at them, for them. Mm-hmm. in their stead and that's why the book is called wallpaper worship yeah yeah how much of that and this isn't something that you necessarily talk about in the book but it's something that i kind of want your opinion on how much of that do you think has to do with the fact that when we look at the church today particularly evangelicalism um 
how much of that do you think has to do with the fact that like the message is really king? Like as long as we get to the sermon, like you can do whatever you want with the music. Like that's fine. Let's let's just get past that part and and get to the sermon. Do you think that that plays into that like that that mindset that the music is merely a setup? Do you think that that plays into this this wallpaper worship phenomenon at all? It, yeah, it definitely contributes to it. But here's the deal. That's that is that is primarily an evangelical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to uh, <clears throat> if you go to an Episcopal mass, let's use that for instance, right? You're going to see stages of that of that uh, worship experience that are designed for participation, right? Observation declaring, responding to what we just declared. I mean, every single, you know, in, in, in somebody who's really knows how to plan those services, or even if they're following the lexicon and the liturgy, the liturgy in the old services is designed by design. In other words, it's forethought through. Yep. We're going to take them on a journey over the next hour. Mm-hmm. And here's what that journey looks like. The journey looks like we're going to declare the greatness of God. Then we're going to do this. Then we're going to confess our sins. Then we're going to grieve over our sins. Then we're going to rejoice in that we are absolved from our sins. Then we are going to pass the peace to one another. Then we're going to declare this. Then we're going to declare that. Then we're going to listen to the sermon. And out of the sermon, then we're going to move into a communion experience that makes sense. Right. You know, that really that cap encapsulates the whole thing. So this idea of, well, the sermon is it. Hmm. Anything else is superfluous or it's just a setup for the sermon. That goes back to the D.L. Moody days Mm. in the 1800s, the the Great Crusades. The Billy Graham Crusades were kind of patterned after the D.L. Moody Crusades. What was it all about? It was all about Billy getting up and preaching for 45 minutes. That's what it was about. That is a Baptist model. Mm. I know because my dad was Baptist. He was yep. died in the wool Baptist. <laughs> it's all about the sermon. Howard Hendricks used to teach that at, at Dallas Theological Seminary. You know, it's all about the word of God and the word of God is great. Mm-hmm. But preaching it is only one tool in how to communicate it. Right. Singing it is only one tool in how to communicate it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that that's, that's something that, you know, gets gets missed a lot because we think about you know liturgical services primarily you know like episcopal tradition catholic tradition as being so dull and so rote but if you think about it like the whole the whole experience is the message like the whole experience is the sermon like we're going to live this out together and mm-hmm. it's a it's such a shame that that has gotten such a bad rap you know that actually thinking about things <clears throat> thematically and thinking about things as a, as an overarching, you know, as this whole arc, you know, that, that we're participating in, I, I feel like, you know, we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater a little bit, uh, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to crafting our services in a liturgical and ordered way, you know, and, and you actually touch on that a lot in the book about thinking through, you know, declaring, responding and devotion. Like, I think those are such, I mean, that was, that hit me really hard. I think that's like chapter 12 or something like that. And, and even as I was, as I was picking my set list like that, that following Sunday, I was like, okay, like, 
let's start with a declaration and then let's move on to a response like it and it it really helps <laughs> it's really when you're actually intentionally thinking about these things like not just picking the most popular song not just picking the most like you know whatever it is that you're trying to to craft like let's think about these things first like where are we taking everyone um, right. so that's yeah that's super helpful um, and I have to be really careful when I share this stuff, Brian, because so many people in the evangelical community, which honestly is probably the majority, mm-hmm. and it may be the majority of your listeners even on this podcast, mm-hmm. hear what I just said, and they're like, oh, I see. Okay, he's a liturgist. He's a liturgist. He wants us to go back to, to, to dead liturgy. You know? And I'm going, no, you don't get it. Obviously, if you think that, you've never experienced it's possible that you have, you've only experienced what you know mm. and what you've only experienced, the one church, one town, one style thing. Yep. And when I was at Oral Roberts University, which was a charismatic university, mm-hmm. <laughs> we had Friday night communion services that were quiet, devotional. And in fact, they would tell us, hey, bring your date before after dinner. Come to the, come to the half hour communion service uh, before you go on a date. Now, mm. there's a way to ensure the college kids are going to be sexually pure, right? You know, <laughs> before your date, you're going to go take the body and blood of Christ. <laughs> well, that was at a charismatic university. Right. We also had a Vespers service on Sunday nights. Mm. Okay. And it was an informal thing. We did all of the modern songs of the day, guitars and all that stuff, you know. Yep. And, but it was, and, and yes, of course, there was a sermon type time. There was a time somebody would speak. There was a guest speaker. But it was so interactive and so mm-hmm. back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Now, the black church in North America understands that and understood it even as far back as the as the early slave days when they mm-hmm. finally were allowed by you know by by their you know by the landowners and the slave owners to meet. Right. It was very interactive. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want somebody to say, oh, okay, so you're saying we should do it like the black church. No, I'm not. I'm just saying, use that as an example of there was a Q&A, Q&A, Q&A. Mm-hmm. You could even hear it in the sermon itself. Yep. I mean, man, you know, they'd start to, they'd start to hoop, right? And why <laughs> did they do that? Because it got the people involved, got the people involved, got the people involved in the sermon, in the sermon, got the people involved. You say it, got the people involved in the sermon, in the sermon. And, you know, it was that. Rhythmic yeah. hooping. Why did they do that? Was it because they were enamored with uh, with rhythm? No, it was because they knew that the people would participate. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. Right. If what we're doing on Sunday is just about, okay, we're going to put together this incredible show with this incredible lighting, with all of the modern stuff, with all of the latest songs, which honestly, most people don't know all the latest ones because there's 40,000 new songs a day. Mm-hmm coming out on spotify okay seriously and if that's what we're going to do on the weekends that's not participatory right i've gone into so many church services where i'm going god this sounds so slick and so compressed and so great but i look around and nobody's singing or a few people are or the staff is on the front row and they don't (laughs) see what's going on behind them right because they heard it through the worship leader's door all week long so yeah Oh man. So, so much of this, um, 
kind of breaking away from the wallpaper worship idea um, and, and actually, you know, engaging people and getting people to participate really hinges on leadership. Like it's the, that's at the heart of all of this. Um, so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Like what, how would you define leadership? Um, where, like, what does a good leader do to get people engaged in what's going on? All right. The first principle of leadership is this leaders have followers. <laughs> yes. You can call yourself a leader, but if nobody's following you, you're not a leader. Right. You're right. a performer. Mm-hmm. Maybe. In fact, <laughs> even good performers have followers. Right. But there's the very first and basic principle. Leaders have followers. Mm-hmm. Well, they're following me, but they're just not showing it. You're in denial. <laughs> you're, you're in an evangelical model and form that you're stuck in, and it's time to start to move out. Right. When was the last time you went to a museum mm. and all the paintings were in one color? Yeah. All the paintings on, on the floors of all of this museum were all, you go from this gallery to this gallery to this gallery, and they're all blue. <laughs> Our churches are stuck in one color. Right. Our Protestant Evangelical churches are stuck in one color. Now, we could talk about the problem all day, but I think you want to talk about solutions. I would love to, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, what... Um, so, where, where are we missing the mark then? So, we, we, we have all these... We have all these... This huge palette of color to draw from. Why aren't we doing it? Why are we missing the mark so bad? Um, like, what, what's so appealing about wallpaper worship what's so appealing about it is it's an easy easy way to go today mm-hmm. a lot of the young pastors are coming out of stuff going look worship leader your job is see this youtube video from hillsong or from bethel your job is make it look and sound like that period mm-hmm. i'll talk to you later mm-hmm. and that's it that's not that's not a pastor leading his staff yeah there's there is the fundamental problem right there yep. number two is all of this music and, and all of this style is just simply a musical style. Mm-hmm. All of this production is a style. It is a tool. That's all it is. Right. It is not worship. And now everybody's talking about all this music and they're using the word worship for the music. They are completely separate biblically. Yeah. Totally separate. And I talk about that in the book. That mm-hmm. worship is not music. Right. And um, worship is not productive. You know, I mean, you go on YouTube, you see this stuff. Hey, learn how to play worship guitar. And I'm like, well, how different is that from jazz guitar? How different is that from country licks? You know, right. da, 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 da. oh, no, 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 it's worship. It's worship guitar. <laughs> you know, I know we laugh about that. But right. the problem with that is not just, you know, the nomenclature. The problem is there is a mindset that mm-hmm. says if we use this form then it's worship. Yep. But it's only worship if it's in this form. Mm-hmm. Okay, now stop right there. 40 years ago, 70 years ago, the form was organ, piano, with a choir in the middle. Mm-hmm. And my parents used to say that. This is worship. Yep. When you do it in this form, 
That's worship. One of the fundamental things I say in my book is that is biblically incorrect. It is incorrect talking. It's incorrect thinking. And here's where it's led. We have a worship industry. Mm -hmm. And it's all about selling copyrights. It's all about doing a particular form of music in a particular performance form with particular production form around it. And we call that worship. It's worship. It's worship guitar. It's worship drums. Learn how to play worship drums. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's, so, you know, this is what I'm saying. Until leaders get out of that mindset and begin mm -hmm. to see these things as simply colors on a palette, mm -hmm. one of many colors, yeah. they're never going to step out of their forms. They're going to continue to call their forms worship. Yep. To be able to step out of it and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do what Glenn Packham does. You know what Glenn does at, at New Life Downtown in Colorado Springs? He gets up. He doesn't do this every week, but occasionally he'll get up and throw out a new color. Mm -hmm. And you know what he does? He goes, we're going to recite the Nicene Creed now. <laughs> yep. One of, my, one of my friends who grew up Catholic, okay, dead Catholic, not alive Catholic, but dead Catholic. Right. I told him this story, and he stopped me right there when I told him that. And he said, oh, I'll bet everybody just groaned. <laughs> just went, oh, no. Yep. No. Yep. They did the opposite. They, be, the, Young and old jumped up and cheered. And he goes, okay, for those of you who have never done this before, here's where the Nicene Creed came from. Here's why we think it's important. He told that in 30 seconds. And then he says, and when you see a line on the screen as you recite this, and it really resonates with what God's doing in your life right now, I want to hear a shout out. So here we go. Yeah. I believe, and boom, they took off, and the place was coming unglued. Mm. Yeah. Now, if you if you grew up and you and you you got your education at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, what you heard was, "Well, that's not Baptist. We don't use the creeds. We don't need them anymore." Okay, great. Well, we just threw yellow out of the color palette. Yeah. We just threw something out that has stood the test of time as a worship tool in other words we're being told you can only use these tools well mm -hmm. that's what catholics did for so long you can only do the mass in english or right. in, in latin right and that's why so many people look at these traditions and, and look at the creeds and look at these liturgical elements as so dry and boring is because they said nope this is the only color that we're going to use and, and i i love you know, when, when I hear stories about like what, what Glenn is doing down at, at new life downtown, like all it's amazing what you can get away with for lack of a better term, when you actually take the time to lead people through it, to not just, we're not just going to say this, I'm going to tell you what this means. Mm -hmm. And and I'm going to ask you to actually find that little spot in your heart that actually attaches to this little line, mm -hmm. you know, like, Th that that's good leadership like that's it, good that's leadership yeah, yeah is is not just taking for granted that we do this thing every week not just taking for granted that oh people are going to know this anyway or taking for granted that everybody is listening to the same playlist on spotify and everyone's going to know this song like that's good leadership is when you actually get in with the people who are following you and and understand like oh you have no idea what any of this means let me lead you through this. <laughs> so, Let me tell you why this is important for right, us as believers. Right. 
Exactly. Let me share with you. Let me let me get you on the same. Let's all get on the same page together. Right. And why it's always been important. You know, like yeah. here's here's why the Nicene Creed is still important. At, at, at the church where I serve, we every, once a month we do the Apostles' Creed. It's our statement of faith on our website. And and we say it every and and we don't just say like and now we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, we exactly. always make sure that we point out not only to the people who are there every week, but to the people that are new. This is why we say this, and mm. and and the and, and you address that some too in those latter chapters. Why the why is just as important as the what? Like that, if you're not going to keep the why in front of your people, you're not leading them. And that is, uh, I just love that you, that you make that point so clearly. Um, so yeah. Ugh. Well, what's, and what's, what's, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and yeah, I, I do. I really hit that big in the book. I'm a real big context guy. I got to know mm-hmm. why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. If you tell me why, then I'll do it. Yep. You know, then it makes sense. But if I'm just doing it because you're telling me I have to do it this way, mm-hmm. that's why when I walk into a super hyper production quote worship service i'm watching for when are we going to connect with this Mm -hmm. and if there's no connection point if they're just putting on something for me and they may have a million followers that's that day okay you know (laughs) online yep i don't care to me i am bored out of my skull right because i can get this on my smartphone while i'm tanning myself on the beach you know i mean i What's the point here, you know? And um, so those kind of tools are really valuable. Now, here's one of the keys, okay? Mm -hmm. Here's one of the keys, especially if worship leaders are listening to this. Worship leaders, and I talk about this in the introduction of the book. I'm going, look, you're going to get some ideas with this book that you may get really excited about. Mm -hmm. But if you go to your pastor with some of this stuff and he's not on the same page as you, good luck. Yeah. You're going to get really frustrated, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I've heard so many worship leaders come to me and they say, man, you know, all my pastor wants me to do is just come up with a great set of songs. And we do those songs and then we come back after the sermon and we do one more song and that's that. Right. I mean, that's all I'm tasked to do. Mm-hmm. And I tried to share a scripture in the middle of, you know, one of these things. And my pastor said, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to even address the people. You just get up and do the music. Yep. You know what I've told worship leaders? I'm going, does that bother you? They're like, yeah, man, there's something really wrong with that. And I'm going, then why are you on staff at that church? Right. You got a different worldview of worship than your leader does. Mm -hmm. You need to be working with somebody who shares your worldview Mm -hmm. of worship, your biblical worldview of worship. Because if you're not, you're in the wrong place. Yep. Well, and that's something that, that uh, you know, Torn Curtain Arts, the, the ministry I work for, and, and the whole concept behind this Chasing Sundays idea is, like, if you're in an environment where all you're being asked to do is run from Sunday to Sunday, then it may be time to start thinking about a change. Like, <laughs> find, find a place, you know, and if that's not possible, then you need to at least start finding those spaces in your own personal life where you can stop for a minute and you can, you can hit the reset button and you can, you know, you can find those little moments of peace that that keep you from just running from Sunday to Sunday. But that's a big issue that we run into with the worship leaders that we meet with is how do I get off this treadmill? And sometimes, you know, getting off the treadmill means 
shutting it down and going to find, you know, find a new gym, (laughs) you know, know, find some place where you, where you can chase after these things. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the, you know, some of the practices that, that you talk about engaging some of the, the ancient and the traditional within a modern worship service. So, so finding ways to utilize all those colors. Um, what's, you know, what's the balance that you find between old and new? Um, and I, I thought of something too, as you were talking earlier about, you know, doing some of your original songs, there are a lot of worship leaders that are writing music nowadays. Um, where do you feel like that fits in, um, within, you know, within a service, how often should you share a new song that, you know, may fit well with the voice of your congregation, but where's that balance of, of old and new? And yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you talk. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast right there. Right. Um, A whole nother hour just talking about how do you put together a service, you know, uh, and how do you, how do you incorporate those things? Let me just, uh, it kind of gives something real general about that. I, when I talk about the book is let juxtaposition work for you, not against you. In other words, if you guys are stuck in a completely contemporary model, then throw in something that is old. Mm. And I'm not just talking about, okay, we'll do it as well with my soul. That's old, you know, <laughs> or we'll do shout to the Lord by Darlene check. That's old. And that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about what about trying a responsive reading? Mm-hmm. Let the guy, you know, let your keyboard guy pad, you know, mm-hmm. and then move into a responsive reading. But don't introduce it as a responsive reading. Mm. Okay, now we're going to have a responsive reading. that, And that means that I read the first thing and then you respond together. Okay, now we've never done this before. <laughs> and this is new. <laughs> you know, and some of you didn't grow up in church. I'm like, shut uh, up. Yeah, you instantly shut start up. apologizing for this thing. Like, and, exactly. and, and you're giving everyone a free pass on checking out. Like, oh yeah, at that point, yeah, I love that stuff. And I would, if I heard that kind of an introduction, I'd be going, "Come on, honey, let's go to the restroom, or let's go get some coffee, right?" And wait for this to stop because this is miserable. Okay, <laughs> so you know, part of our discussion on how to put together a service also needs to be on things like what what comes before, what comes behind. I talk right. about that in the book. Mm-hmm. How do you introduce things? When do you introduce things? When do you not introduce things? Right. Um, you know, some of those things, and you know. Those are, those are learned. Yeah. Those are, those are things that guys and gals who are young in their twenties or whatever, and getting these jobs need to learn how to do. Sure. And that comes with, you know, that comes with experience, but yeah. there's a lot that we can teach about some of that. Yeah. But my point is this, I'm leading. Okay. I'll just use one of my examples. I'm leading at the Billy Graham center. Okay. Their, their conference center called the Cove up mm-hmm. in the mountains of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I got young, I got old, etc. So I'm, I'm choosing my songs based on my demographic. I'm, of course, we're going to do some hymns because I love them. All right. You know, when I rock them, when, when I do them right, you know. Um, and so we're going to do a hymn. We're going to do stuff that we know they know. Yeah. Because they will sing. Okay. Mm-hmm. They'll be familiar. And in the middle of this, between two songs, a passage from Psalm 103 works really well. Hmm. You know, for he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. And there's a, you know, there's a, let's say that's an example, okay? Mm-hmm. Take six verses, five verses from Psalm 103, and it just appears on the screen after the song I just did. 
in the middle of the set. Boom. And I read the first line. I don't even have to tell them what to do. They already know what to do. Right. They know. There's enough of them out there who have done this before. They know what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go into some boring, stupid explanation. Yeah. I just read the first line because it says Psalm 103, verses 1 through 7, verse 1. Boom. I read it. Mm-hmm. And then I just make a motion as the leader. Mm-hmm. I read it. And then I, I just do this. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just, uh, I mean, I know people can't see this podcast, but I mean, <laughs> I just put my hand out there and they know Right. that's our cue mm-hmm. and they read it. It only takes one time. And then I read the next line yeah. and I put my hand out and they read it. We yeah. did that on the opening night. People came up to me, young and old going, that was so awesome, man. We read the word of God together. We could hear one another. Wow. What made you think of that? Okay. This isn't rocket science. All we've got to do, Brian, is we've got to be, we've got to be willing to get out of this trap this Sunday to Sunday trap that we're in and begin to transform Sundays into something that is participatory as opposed to observatory. And there's so many easy ways to do that. That's only one example. Sure. Well, I I think it starts too with, with stop making this assumption that people don't want to participate. We have to, (laughs) we have to stop because people do like that reaction to me says people want to get engaged and we're stealing that away from them. We're taking that away by, by making it all about just what happens on the platform. And yeah, that uh, (laughs) we got to stop just like, let's, let's give people their brains back. Like let's give people like you, you get to be like, we all get to be a part of this. Like, let's all do this together. And like, I can't think of a better way to, to get away from just the exhaustion of chasing Sundays than to get everyone to help you do this. Like this isn't all on our shoulders that I don't have to be the only one responsible. I need to be responsible for leading and for being intentional about creating these moments. But when it actually comes down to what happens on Sunday morning, like we, we all get to do this together and, and we, we're missing out on that by assuming that no one wants to participate with us. Right. Or just assuming that our role is make it look like YouTube. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, it's really interesting because if you go on, if you go on uh, to a lot of the stuff that the worship industry is putting out, mm-hmm. you're seeing arenas, right? You're seeing big theaters full of, you know, that, that hold 8,000 people Yeah. or you're seeing an arena that holds 12,000 mm-hmm. or even 18,000. Right. And somehow, some way, Young worship leaders have made the assumption that I can translate that experience mm. into my church of 300 people. Right. Sorry, guys. It doesn't work like that. No. It just doesn't. And I, I just, it pains me when I go into situations like that and I see these guys using the same shtick. Yep. The same performance tools, the same smoke, the same lights in a little auditorium of 300 people that's all blacked out. And I'm going, why are you doing this? Well, right. the answer to that question is, because it's that's worship. That's that's what you do. That's what I saw on YouTube. Yeah, that's what I saw on YouTube. Yeah, uh, it's not that that's worship. It's that I was told that was worship, and that's that's what I've been taught, and that's all I know. Yeah, and I'm going, dude. You got to get out, man. You got to get out. Yeah. Now, there's a great church in Denver called Wellspring. 
Mm. I think there's a couple of campuses, but it's an Episcopalian church. Mm -hmm. And no, it's Anglican. It's Anglican. These guys are just, they are. (laughs) Jake Goslin, okay, you know, from Church Front. All right, Jake's a good friend. And Jake used to lead worship at that church. Oh wow! He used to be their worship leader, and that means he was he was doing songs in between pieces of the liturgy. Yep. But this whole thing is totally—if you've never been in one of those services, you're going to walk in and go, "Oh my gosh, this is so liturgical! It's like a Catholic mass." If you've ever been in one of those, you're going to go, "This is so contemporary!" Right? This is such a contemporary approach to this. Yep. But when they do the processional and they walk in, they—and I'm not saying every church needs to do this. I'm just going; these are cool tools to think about. They want, they do a processional and they're holding up the Bible, mm. a huge Bible over themselves mm. as they walk in to this one song that a Jake Goslin type guy is up there leading, you know, okay. a guitar and a band, the whole bit. Yep. So they're doing contemporary music, but they're doing a processional that is as ancient as the early church in the 300s. Mm. Why do they hold the Bible over their heads? Because it makes a physical statement. And here's the statement. We are under the authority of the word of God. Yeah. Oh. The difference between that and the Baptist thing we were talking about earlier is the Baptists are going, well, we'll prove it. We're going to preach at you for 50 minutes. That shows you that we're under the authority of the word of God. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fine. You can do that. You can do that. Yeah. But these guys did it in a colorful, cool ancient way and it was like right. oh my goodness they're coming into this song i heard on you know caleb or something you know and they're yep. doing this old thing with the new thing that's when i talk about juxtaposition in my book hmm. yeah that's a great example of juxtaposition yep are they the ones that, that end the service by casting their sins upon the cross oh yeah and then they, most uh, anglican churches yeah. do that yep oh. yeah so good it's very cool yeah yeah. But again, if you're a worship leader and you're in a very narrow situation where if you tried that, you're going to get fired mm-hmm. or your pastor or your elders are going to go, don't do that. That's Anglican. We don't do that. We're not Anglican. Right. You know, and you're trying to convince them that you want to use some new and fresh tools and your your job's being threatened. You're in the wrong place. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Oh, man. Hey, I want to ask you one more question um, as we, we're, we're running a little bit short on time, but um, you, you write in that last chapter um, about the legacy of worship um, that, that we may or may not pass on. Um, and you mentioned two main hallmarks in there, uh, a legacy of humility and a legacy of integrity. Um, help unpack those for us uh, and how humility and, and integrity help us steer clear of, of wallpaper worship. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't want to be so guilty as to, to giving so many examples of what not to do, but sometimes those are great examples. Those are great examples. That's my whole life, Danny. That's kind of the Roman 7 approach to living. Right. right. I often introduce myself as a walking cautionary tale. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> yeah. I have so, a friend of mine who says, I live in a constant state of confession. You know? <laughs> um. Humility. Mm-hmm. People, followers, and I'm a follower, okay? Yeah, I'm a leader, but I'm also a follower because I'm under the authority of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and when I'm under someone else's leadership, you know, in a worship context, then I'm a follower, okay? When they're leading and I'm there, okay? The point is this. Followers in, and, and sheep in the body of Christ are 
dying for humble shepherds. They will follow a humble shepherd. Hmm. Um, when a woman comes up, this I've been given this example a number of times, but I'll say this. Here's, here's what not to do if you're a worship leader. Hmm. A woman comes up to the worship leader, an older woman. And says, can I ask you a question? Why is it so loud? Mm -hmm. We can't even hear one another sing out there. Why? Can you just explain that to me? And maybe, you know, can we consider doing something a little different? And the response is this. Look, if you don't like it, you can go to another church. Mm. That's a great example of lack of humility. Mm -hmm. That's a great example of how not to lead. Yeah. That's a great example. If I was a senior pastor, I would fire that person immediately mm. and say, you don't need to be, you, you don't, you not only not only need to be in leadership here, you probably, you probably just need to be in the music industry. Okay. <laughs> not in yeah. church work, you know, in church ministry and pastoral ministry. Mm. Um, another great example. I worked uh, part-time with a, with a guy, a uh, pastor, really gifted teacher. But again, uh, it was a very small church situation where they were paying this guy much, much more than they could afford. Mm -hmm. And what they're, what the secretary, his secretary was doing was editing his books. You know, it's all about editing my books, making my podcast. We got to get more followers. We got to get this. If we can build my career, mm -hmm. then we will bring more people to this church. Mm -hmm. That's not pastoral ministry. That's not mm -hmm. humility. Go to e Ezekiel 34. Okay, it's such I didn't even quote it that much in the book, but Ezekiel 34 is a, an excoriation of the shepherds where God says through the prophet, I have a problem with you guys. And here's what it is. And I think if every leader in America in the church could read that and really assimilate Ezekiel 34, yep. I think we'd see a big difference in how people lead. Mm -hmm. mm. Oh, amen. And. I talk about this in the book in James, God opposes the proud. Mm -hmm. God embraces the humble. Yep. When we start being proud and prideful, we are actually in opposition to God. Yeah. And God is in opposition to us. Mm. So, you know, there's just some real basic uh, stuff here about that humility. Mm. Yeah. Integrity. Integrity is what is what produces humility. Integrity is not honesty. Honesty is a fruit of integrity. Oh, humility is a fruit I, of integrity. I underlined that like four times because that is <laughs> that is that is so good. Uh, I I feel like yeah, there's not an equal sign <laughs> between there. You can be you know you can be really honest but have zero integrity in your life. Like that is I, I I've had someone describe like the difference between vulnerability and authenticity or some, something like that. Like, Oh, that, that person is so vulnerable. Like, yeah, anybody can get up and just vomit their stuff. Like authenticity is vulnerability with accountability. Like, you know, there's, there's this huge gap between the two and it's, it's the same between honesty and, and integrity. Like, yeah, I can just, I'll be truthful about anything you want. <laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'll spew all this stuff all day long, but unless you're actually living a life that, you know, that brings all those things together, 
you know, there's, there's no, there's no point. So, well, you just said it. That's what integrity is. Integrity is just simply a, a, a word off of the word integration, which mm-hmm. means pulling it all together, putting it together, disintegration as opposed to integration. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that's good. Oh man. There is so much more that we could be talking about and, and we will, I want, I want to have you back, um, probably many times, um, and, and talk about this. Um, but thank you for taking the time. I know you're a, you're a busy guy and, um, but this is, I, I feel like this is so important for worship leaders. I think it's so important for churches to hear the things that you have to say. Um, I will be making sure that everyone that I know goes out and buys a copy of your book. Um, uh, so, uh, and I only know, unfortunately, I only know like four people. So, um, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, Danny. And, uh, yeah, this has been great. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Let's do it again. Yes, very, very soon. So, all right. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So that was, uh, that was Danny Byram and, um, yeah, that was such a, it was an enriching conversation uh, for me and every time that I've been able to speak with him. Um, it's just been really encouraging um, to be able to to hear his perspective on, on what's going on in the church. And, and as you probably noticed, there's a there's a long history there. This isn't just a guy who's coming in and, and you know, with a couple of years experience and throwing indictments at the church. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you have a chance to get that book, uh, please do wallpaper worship by Danny Byram. And, uh, like I said, we're going to link to it on all of our social media and all of that stuff. Um, I, I want to make a couple of disclaimers, uh, before we leave, it, it, it could be easy to listen to something like that and, and think that we're being, you know, really down on, you know, big churches that use a lot of technology and that, you know, that use the lights and the smoke and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not true. Uh, one of the things we didn't, get to talk about a whole lot is, is Danny's involvement with, with promise keepers. You know, he was, I mean, these are some of the biggest Christian events that have probably ever happened in America. Um, you know, 70,000 people in stadiums, those were high production events. The point, and, and I've worked at, I've worked at large churches that, that use the smoke and the lights and, and the backing tracks and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and it was great. The, the point isn't the technology that you use, the point is, is that becoming a, a crutch? Is that becoming something that's keeping your people passive? Is that something that, that you're doing to keep your people from actually participating in what's going on in your service? And so I just wanted to, to say that because I, I, it's easy, especially if you've been in it, to stand on the outside and, and criticize it and say like, ah, oh, you know, you don't need all this stuff. Use the stuff. It's great stuff. But don't let it be all about the stuff and don't let it turn into something that people just want to watch. Create services, craft services that make people want to participate. Uh, 
that make people want to get involved and, and, and give them a sense that they are involved and engaged. So that's really the heart behind, behind a lot of what we were saying, like not coming down on big churches, not coming down on high production churches. We're coming down on where, where is the heart in it? And are your congregations having a hard time getting past all that stuff to actually be active participants in what's going on in your worship service. So just wanted to make that, that quick disclaimer. Um, Hey, uh, so I, like I said, I will mention all this kind of stuff on our socials, but I did want to let you know, if you want to know more about Danny and his ministry, you can go to dannybyram.com, B-Y-R-A-M, dannybyram.com. Um, he's got a bunch of stuff on YouTube, some really great resources, especially arrangements of hymns, um, that, uh, that may be, uh, may be handy for your, uh, for your church, uh, or maybe it'll inspire you to make your own, uh, arrangements of, of some really old, old hymns. Um, again, check out the book wallpaper worship. It's available just about everywhere online, or you can get it, uh, at his website as well. Um, we will definitely have him back as we, uh, as we ended our recording, we talked about, you know, Hey, let's, as, as Christmas approaches, like, let's talk about Advent. Let's talk about, you know, this, this really ancient practice and how we can, you know, how we can integrate that into our Christmas services. Um, and, and uh, yeah, so we will be having more conversations because I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Um, Hey, uh, Thanks again for listening to Chasing Sunday. This is a production of Torn Curtain Arts. You can find out more about us at torncurtainarts.org. Our music, if you, uh, well, I'm not even going to say if you enjoyed it. I enjoy it. Uh, It is produced by by a guy named Danny Burton. And uh, you can find out more about him also on our website. Um, Our executive producer is Paul Romig-Levitt. And that is it. Thanks for listening to Chasing Sunday. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell tell your enemies. I don't care. Uh, Tell anybody about Chasing Sunday. uh, And keep listening. We love you. Thanks. You're not alone. We'll talk to you again soon.